Today, Corey mentioned already, if you got one of these sheets here, you'll see it says Theology of the Joy Box. Yeah, that's right. And if you're here for the first time, you're like, why are these people going, woo-hoo? You know, I'm <laughs> just kidding. You know, sometimes we say Joy Box, and everybody goes crazy. And sometimes at the end of service, you're really excited because you're almost going to eat lunch. And you say, hey, you put your prayer concerns in the Joy Box, and people go, because we're going home. And uh, that's cool, too. And so, but there's a reason we do what we do, I hope. There's a reason we do what we do. Um, and so today we're going to talk about that a little bit, about the theology of the joy box. I want to apologize for those of you who are more astute than I. You're going to already say, man, I'm not sure theology is the right word there. That's probably a fair criticism. I looked at other words like praxis or practice or all kind of fun stuff. But I think it's fundamentally a God thing. I think it's fundamentally a God thing. And so today um, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do something real quick. I'm going to grab this dude and bring it out here. So if you don't know, this is what a joy box looks like. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Okay, I'm going to call a moratorium on the woohooing in a minute, but uh, one more time for fun. This is a joy box. Woohoo! That's right, out of our system. So you are now suspended until the end of service, okay? And because uh, I'm, but the, it's just this box that, that someone made. It's green and it's very efficient, sort of, for what it does. Um, and we're going to talk about why we use the joy boxes See there? Some of you guys want to do it again. And how we use them in our worship services together. One of the, the funny things about why we do what we do is we don't often stop to ask the question, why do we do it that way? Right? Sometimes we go and we serve in places like Honduras. We show up and we start to do things where we've always done them because that's the way it's supposed to happen, we think. And then we learn something new. There's a different way to do things. Uh, one of the classes we teach here at uh, Family Bible Church is called Financial Peace University. And if you've not been through that, it's an awesome course. It's changed uh, my wife and I's life. But one of the things they talk about is that Dave Ramsey tells a story about um, a, a granddaughter who is making Thanksgiving uh, meal for the family, or maybe not Thanksgiving, Christmas meal for the family. And so she got out the ham, and she cut off the end of the ham, and she put the ham in the pan and put the pan in the oven, and then she took that piece of ham that she cut off and threw it away. And um, her, her grandma said, well, well why did you do that? And she says, well, mom always did it that way. And the mom came. She said, come here, honey. Why did you cut off the end of your ham? And she goes, the mom says to her mom, who's grandma, well, you always did it that way. And grandma said, but my oven was tiny. <laughs> you see? For three generations, they were just doing something, and they weren't even asking, why are we doing it that way? Is that the best way to do it? And sometimes stuff like this, we're a portable church. We've been here. Actually, our anniversary is coming up, I believe, um, next week or so. And I can't remember how many years it's been now. Anybody have a guess? Eight? Is that true for sure? Do you sound confident? Nine. I'm kind of more with nine, but I could be making it up. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it's coming up in a few weeks, the founding of this church. And somewhere back in the day, someone said, man, we should use joy boxes uh, instead of other methodologies. Over the years, there's been a lot of conversation about that. So I'm going to dig in today to the Word and see what the Word has to say about our concept of how we give and why we give. Um, I hope you will journey with me. We're going to do what we always do is enter into God's Word, and we're going to ask God, to bless our time, to open our minds to his truth. We don't want human wisdom. We don't want our own stuff messing up what God has for us today. So we're going to invite him to come and purify our hearts and minds and, and proclaim his word clearly. Please pray with me if you would. Father, uh, for the gathered people here today, we give you praise and thanks for just our ability to worship you, our ability to talk to you right now in this prayer, our ability to know you through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the great and glorious gospel that continues to unfold before us. And today, 
today. Father, we come confessing that we uh, have sinned against you. We, we have all this stuff in us, Lord, that just works against your plan for our life and your plan for the world. And we pray that that be made right today in some way that you would work in our innermost being to transform us into the way you've designed us to work. Uh, Father, for the, uh, the reading, teaching, and understanding of your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance. We know that you inspired the word. It's not just another book. We ask that you would help us to understand it. And Lord, for those in the room today that say, I don't understand this, and, and I know, Father, they're here, I pray that you would give them a special blessing that they would know that you love them, that you are encouraging, that you are teaching them, that you have the ability to help them know and understand fully what you're trying to communicate through your word. And so we give you thanks and praise. You alone are able to do this, and we give you thanks for the opportunity uh, to open and share your word today. We pray this prayer the only way we know how, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So this morning, uh, so it's funny because I've been thinking, and this is kind of a a weird sermon in a way, but I want to talk about some opportunities we have. I said next Sunday is the town hall. I want to talk about some opportunities we have to do things that require finances. You've heard some this morning already, right? We talked about Deb and Tim who are getting ready to go again and do campus outreach and training all summer in the, in the mountains of Tennessee. We've been on mission with them for years, and we want to continue to, to be part of that. Um, you know we've gone to Guatemala. We've gone to uh, Honduras. We've gone to Kenya, Africa. We're hoping to go again to Kenya. Africa. The funds are already starting to be gathered, and the people are already starting to, to think that direction, uh, this idea. And so I want to put all that stuff, okay, into this missional category called uh, sending out people in the name of Jesus Christ, okay? Churches, by their nature, should be sending institutions. I mean, the fact that we're even here right now means someone felt called and compelled to come to you, you know, and that's not me. I mean, I'm part of that story, but that's not me only. People felt comp- compelled to come here and share the good news of Jesus Christ in Highland. And part of our normal, healthy function as a church is to, what's the word say? It's in Matthew 28. It says, go and make disciples. You know who said that? Jesus said that, right? Now, honestly, this one idea, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, that whole, that encapsulates all the work of the church, all the mission of the church, all the ministry of the church. But one of the ways we do that for sure is we make, go and make disciples. We send people out. You know, the first word is go. And I'm not going to jump into that. That text is so packed and so powerful. We send people out. I'm telling you, and it's, it's, it's just true. I was sitting here this morning. I don't know if you're like me, but I was sitting this morning, and, and I was weeping because I could see, I could begin to see what God did in the lives of our men who went. I talked to anyone from, who went to Kenya. Their hearts broke when they went. There's something about going and seeing and getting eyes on the people that God is, has died to save that changes us. It reorders our purpose. So one of the opportunities we have as a church is to make disciples. And one of the ways to make disciples is by sending people on mission trips. One of the ways to make disciples is by going and serving at the Oblong uh, Christian Children's Home right? There's all these opportunities we have to go and to serve. We, we've done it down in Washington Park in Illinois right here. We've, we've just done all these opportunities to go and serve. We've done our own community through the food pantry. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. 
But that's one of the opportunities that we have to, to, uh, to, to steward our resources toward is going and making disciples of all nations. And that comes in the form of sending missionaries. Now, it's a funny word, missionary, because you go, well, they're short-term missionaries. They're not really missionaries, but they are, right? It changes people. Some of those people will be called to full-time missions work. And, th- and that's really a call that all of us should be answering in our own lives, no matter where we are, this call to respond to the gospel in our current context, even if you haven't gone anywhere and you're right here, right? It's the way God works. The second opportunity we've had lately as a church family, I'm just giving you three opportunities that we have that seem pretty clear distinctives. One's, you know, sending missionaries, making missionaries, making disciples. The second is an opportunity for a permanent space for us here in Highland, right? I mean, I mean a building of some sort. Now, it doesn't have to be, we, we are talking about own rent or lease or whatever, but we're kind of spread everywhere. We rent over um, by the square. We rent here every Sunday. We load in, load out. We have all our gear in a trailer, and we have all this, this work that goes in, and it's been a blessing. It's been awesome, and there's nothing wrong with it per se. And yet there's been a, a sense in the church that maybe it's time that we put a, a place down in Highland, and we say, here's where we're going to be. This is where we're going to come. I want to be clear. The building itself is pointless unless we're making disciples in it. It's only a tool to go and make disciples of all nations. It's only a place to rally the troops. It's only a place to come and proclaim the good news, to share our, our opportunities. And what we've seen at the little place we rent in, uh, by the square is it's being used more and more by people who come together, expound the word, bless the word. I want to tell you a little story about this, you see. It's not just our folks that we're blessing. When we do something like that, we establish a, a presence in the community. It's not just for us. Some people say, well, what, what do we need an office for? We have people who would come and sit and listen and love and learn at something like a steak night when they won't come here on a Sunday. We got people who, who go to other churches in town, praise God, on Sundays, but they get great meaning from the relationships of the Bible study, the women's groups, the men's groups, the small groups of all kinds that, that come together. And it's not just in our office. Because some of you know you open your homes to people, don't you? Your space is God's space. And you say, come in, eat our food, drink our drinks, share in our conversation, live our lives with us. And that's a very Christian thing to do, to ask people, come in and share what God has given you. The, the manifestation of a building or a property is nothing more than an extension of what God has already done among his people, giving us things. And he gave me a house. I don't know if he's given you a house. I don't know how much space he's given you. But today we're going to hear some things from the word that maybe will, will change our thinking about what we've been granted. So the second opportunity we have is a more permanent space. There are people working on that. We don't know what that means yet, so I don't have any big announcements. But we're just praying that direction. Lord, are you calling us to establish a location, a place here in Highland that can be ours? Um, and then the third, and maybe we're not supposed to, but that's where we're looking. And then the third opportunity we have, and I think this is all under making disciples, is adding staff, right? Some of you may know already that um, we have uh, Kim Oldenkamp now serving as our administrative assistant uh, to the church. She's a church's executive assistant, and she's doing a great job. You can tell because you haven't noticed anything go crazy wrong. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, the work that Kim does is work that happens behind the scenes, and when things don't go wrong, she's doing it. That's what's happening. And if she wasn't doing it, things would be going, you know, wronger than they are, okay? And, uh, and so praise God. I mean, praise God for her faithful service, you know? It's a big deal. 
uh, and we take that very seriously as a church when we add staff. It's a stewardship issue. You entrust resources to us. We're gonna, we've been praying, and there's been a team meeting to, to try to find a new youth uh, pastor for our, our church. And Corey's stepping back. We want to do that. How do we do that? How do we honor them? How do we, I want to understand, this is making disciples. When you invest in someone, you may, I want you to go through your mind and think about the people who have come through these doors and served in the role I'm in, the role Corey's in, the role Dan's in. They are on doing ministry. They're on, I can't think of anyone who's not. Maybe there is one or two, but people are continuing to do ministry outside these walls. It's a disciple-making process. And sometimes we wonder, well, why would we, why would we add a staff or whatever? I'm just telling you, it's making disciples of all nations. The church gets to be part of that work. So I'm going to go ahead and have you turn, if you would, to our, our text. Now, I get our text if you've, um, oh, let's see here. Uh, oh, I'm ahead. Well, where am I at? Let me see. Back up, back up. Hey, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. That's what we're going to look at today, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Um, and if you have noticed lately in our, um, in our, our uh, offering envelopes, you know, this is a way that if you give donations, you can make sure it goes where you want it to go, or if you are, um, if you are giving cash, you can get tax credit for it. But on the back of that, we put this verse. It says, it says, remember, each of you should give as you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a joyful giver, right? And, and that's where we get the idea of joy boxes from. Uh, I'm going to read that again to you, and we're going to walk through these kind of principles that we find. But we want to remind everyone, when we're doing this, what we're doing it for. And we're going to talk about this. This is what the Word says. Each man, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, Right? And so I'm going to pull out three principles real quick on this one verse, and then we're going to expound on them a little more. But the first thing is this. He says, each man should have a plan for what he's going to give, okay? He should, he should decide ahead of time what he's going to do. It should be a conversation. If you are following God, what are we going to give? How are we going to give it? He should give as he has planned to give. So the first thing is, in this kind of real quick thing here, is the plan of how to give. The second thing he says then is has he's planned in his heart to give. You see, giving is a heart issue. And you can argue with me all day long. You can say, it's not a heart issue, but it's a heart issue because I have it too, right? When, someone, when one more person shows up at your door and they're like, hey, can you help? I had somebody call me yesterday, one of those call center things, and they're like, hey, and they had a really good cause. But I'm like, I'm, just, I'm not going to do that. And I said, I'm, I'm not interested. Can you take me off your call list? And, and they acted like I was like a pariah. They're like, you know, who, how dare you tell us no? Did you hear what I said to you? They said all the right keywords to get me to give, you know? And I hung up, and I, my heart was hurting. I said, Lord, did you want me to do something? You know, and each one of you should give what you've planned to give in your heart, Paul writes, to the church. It's a hard issue for us. I, I get an opportunity to do premarital counseling, and one of the sessions that we spend in premarital counseling is on finances in particular, because finances can destroy a marriage. But one of the, the key concepts about the generosity we find in Christ Jesus is that, that we are to be givers in this world. And I say to people, and I will say this to anyone at all, if you were, if you were a believer or a non-believer, if you have to have everything that you deserve, you will never have enough. If, if you can't stop and say, yeah, I can help or I can do something, you know, Mike said earlier, your gifts, your talents, if you can't give something of yourself, you will never be satisfied. It's a generosity issue, and it's a heart issue. 
And, and I'm just telling you that in love because you'll be miserable your whole life. You will always want more. You'll never be satiated. You'll never have enough. And part of the witness of Christ in our life is he's more than enough. He's more than enough. And so when we do this kind of act of giving, whether it's, and by the way, not just family Bible, but anywhere where you choose, you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. And you get on mission with what God's doing. You give money. There's a heart issue that's changing. And you're proclaiming to a broken world that it's enough. It's enough. I actually had the opportunity, um, I watched this little documentary on this company that's completely unorthodox. And they had this concept in there. It was called uh, um, Capitalism with Kindness. You see, because capitalism, for many of you, we think, oh, this capitalism is broken. It's greed. It's greed. It's greed, right? And our culture seems replete with this issue. And yet here was the person running a company for profit. It was not a nonprofit company. It was a for-profit company. But they had made decisions to be kind in their earnings. This resulted in a few things that blew me away. One was that all the executives of this corporation, which is like a, a, a national and almost international company, one of the things they did is they limited the executive salary, the top salary, to five times the lowest paid employee of the company. I was like, what? You know, in, in a system where we go, man, it just feels like few people are sucking up all the resources. They said, we're going to put a limit. You go five times, that's a pretty big earnings. Let's, let's walk that out. I mean, if your lowest paid employee is making $30,000 a year, you're making one fifty, dollars right? Guess what, guess what happened in this company? They have some of the best paid employees at the lowest level in their industry. Because everybody wants to make more money. Then you go, great, that's cool. They're all greedy together. This company has given away 70% of its net profit to nonprofits. You go, how do you run a company that way? They're just doing it. They haven't bought the, the, the lie that you have to be greedy to, to, to earn, to, 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 to you know, use your resources that God has given you. It's a hard issue for them. They say, this is our conviction. This is what we're going to do. And they, they feel that you can't do it, and they're doing it. Praise God. Praise God for the opportunity. It looks weird, though, in the world. Each man should give in his heart what he's determined to give. And then the third thing, and I'm going to hit this real quick, it says, giving, giving that pleases God always requires the right attitude, Okay? And this is beautiful because it says right here, and if you want to out on giving, I'm going to give it to you right now. Here's your out forever and ever. It says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You should not give reluctantly or under compulsion in any circumstance. And when we put that on the envelopes, we mean it. You shouldn't be giving, you know, the first word reluctantly means out of guilt. I feel so bad. Gosh. You know, we, we, we tell ourselves all kind of lies about what, our, what, what, God, what God needs with our giving, right? Well, you don't even know. If, if I didn't support this, the whole thing would fall apart. I think we are over-understanding our part of God's mission when we think he's dependent on us. I'm not saying that generosity doesn't matter. But I'm saying if you're, if you're working out of some place, the word means guilt or downcastness, right? You're reluctantly and, and this joy box, I tell you what, we call it a joy box. And this is, I'm going to do, because if, if you have a, something to give and you go, you're like, woo! And if you can't do that, you're not giving joyfully. You're not. If you think the word uh, reluctantly is good, downcast, the second word is under compulsion. And you know me, I love Greek. And the word in Greek means with great pain. 
with great pain. You know, have you ever had to, had to have a moment where you're given in great pain? I mean, you're just like, and you're just, all the wrong emotions are coming out, all the wrong stuff. And I'm going to give you your, some of the times, I tell you where I see this sometimes is in families when there's like divorce settlements and they're going to take this check and eat it. <laughs> right? Man, that's not pleasing to God. And if you, if you go to God like that and you're like, choke on it. What kind of disciple-making is that happening right there? No, God's worth a whole different thing. He wants people like, whoa, I'm giving to you. Whoa, I'm on mission with you. Whoa, we're supporting that ministry. It's like this joyous thing. And you go, and at some point, I've got to be honest, you start to check and you say, man, I'm losing my mind. You know, because you go to people and, and they're like, How, what are you doing? You're like, I don't even know anymore, but you want, I'll do something for you. You want me to do something? It's contagious. Well, the, the word in pain means like this. It literally means with your arm wrenched, right? Come on to the joy box, you know, and you're like, oh, uncle, uncle. You guys had a problem in school. I had a problem in school. God's like, that's not how, I, be, be, Paul says, God wants cheerful givers. He wants us to joyfully celebrate the opportunity we had to be on mission with him. And, uh, and, and that's why we do what we do here. Now, um, I had a big thing planned. We're, we're late, but I want to I roll through uh, just a few concepts. And I'm going to encourage you to read this. If you don't believe what this one verse of Scripture says, okay, if you don't believe it, I want you to read the context around it when Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Because he's writing, he's preparing them for their coming. And he's seeing God do great works in Corinth. He's, he's pleased with Corinth. He brags about Corinth, right? And, and what happens is that Corinth has begun to encourage other churches to be generous as well. And so Paul says, and I, it starts in verse, chapter 7, verse 5. He says, for when we came to Macedonia... Our body had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts from the outside and fears from within. Boy, that sounds familiar. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only his coming, but also comfort that you had given to him. He told us about your longing for us, your deep sorrows, your ardent concern, and our joy became greater than ever. I mean, the idea of giving is relational. And we said, we go down and we serve with people. You see it. It's a relational effort uh, to give. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. If you, if you walk through there, he picks up and he says uh, at the end there in verse 13 of chapter 7, we especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because the spirit had been refreshed in all of you. I have boasted him about you. See, Paul's bragging about this church. And you had not embarrassed me. And just as everything you said was true, our boasting with you, at, with Titus, had been true as well. He had great affection. Listen to the love. And all the greater when he remembers that you were obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. And I'm glad that we could have our complete confidence in you. Some of the principles that I pulled out is that giving isn't about how much you have to give. And, and, and that's a, a key issue. We think, oh, Jesus himself stood in the temple and he said, you see the widow? She gave more than everyone else. And it wasn't because she gave more than everyone else. In her heart, she gave from what she didn't have. Paul says the same thing. Look at it in verse, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Those are the churches that are being exhorted. Out of the most severe trials, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, then welled up in rich generosity. You go, what are you talking about? He's saying these people were hard-pressed, and yet in their joy, they were able to give. 
because I testify that they gave as much as they were able. In fact, they gave beyond their ability. And I'm not advocating, but I'm just, this is a confession that Paul says, this church is on mission. They gave beyond what they were capable to give entirely on their own. Look at verse four. And they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They didn't do as we expected, but they gave, listen, first themselves to God and then to us. You see, the, it's a first act of worship. We give ourselves to the Lord. And, and we can go through that whole thing. I'm not going to, but all these things, the reality is they're, 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 they compel us toward God's purposes in our life. I've never seen someone, I've never seen someone become generous and become a less faithful follower of Jesus. I can't think of anyone. The people that I want to emulate in my own life, I see them, they're, they're, and they're, they're just more generous than anyone I, can, I know. I want to be more like that. And Paul says, that's exactly what happens. It exhorts us. I'm going to read through, and you can have to read this for yourself, but it's, generous giving is an act of grace. Corey said something last week. I got to sneak in on the sermon last week. And Corey said something last week about how after you leave church, we were at a hotel recently out in Colorado, not this last time, a time before. And, and uh, one of the, the guy, the clerk checked us in. He said, uh, my least favorite group is church groups. When he found we were believers and both pastors, no less. My least favorite, like people just give that opinion. Like, I didn't really need to know. I'm just checking in, <laughs> you know. These, you guys are pastors. Boy, our least favorite clients are church people. Why? We don't have grace. Isn't that horrible? And I think we're a little mad, but I mean, be graceful. Corey said something last week about after you leave worship and you go out to farmers for lunch, not that you have to go to farmers, or you go to 9th Street, or you go wherever you go, and, or you go to your house and wherever you go, but if you go somewhere, you have a server. Tipping is grace. Tipping is grace. We went to Colorado this last week, and Chris and I had fun, and uh, one of the things we do because we're getting old is we share meals. <laughs> it's pretty funny. As you get old, you'll share meals, okay? And, uh, and, and it's fun because it's cheap. We're tight, you know? But one of the things I've been felt free to do is then to tip more generously. Boy, it's a conversation, isn't it? All the time. It's not bad. She, she's, we're, we're reasonable. But I just, can you bless somebody? You know? Can you order off the two-for-20 menu and leave a $10 tip? $30 for a meal? Less not 18.5%. I know what I've been. And they, were, they didn't even deserve it. They didn't fill my water glass or nothing. The people of God. Grace. Huh? Be generous. It says it right there. The verse, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to tell you where it's at. 2 Corinthians 8, 6-9 says, generosity, giving is a sign of grace among you. It's a sign that you're truly believing that what God has done is enough. Grace, or giving, is a sharing of the burden. This is all in chapter 8. One of the issues of giving is that the money given has to be handled with integrity, you know? And, and we need accountability as a church for that. We want to do the right things. If, if, we, um, if we, and we're going to talk about in a minute, but we, we want for resources, uh, we need to make clear that we're using things the way God would have us to use them here at Family Bible Church. That's our responsibility. Whatever organization we're giving to, it's their responsibility to do the same thing. But Paul says that too. We want to have a good standing before God and men on how we're using, how we're using the, uh, 
the resources he's entrusted to us. Giving is an encouragement to others. Giving is contagious, he says in chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Giving is contagious among people. People who are generous influence others to be generous, and they become generous, and it's this kind of ripple effect. You've seen the movie Pay It Forward, maybe. I mean, this idea that you continue to do good things because people have done good things. It's a blessing. In chapter 2, verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 7, it's an issue of having a plan, a heart, and an attitude. I already told you that earlier. And then I'm going I'm to wrap up here in chapter 9, picking up with verse 8, right after what he said. This is what Paul says. Each of you should give in your heart as he's decided to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. And God, who is able to make all grace abound in you. He's able to make all grace abound in us. So that in all things, listen to the word, at all times, having all that we need... We will abound in every good work. Having all that we need in every moment, in every time, you will abound in every good work. I I, I read this both ways. God never leaves us without enough stuff to do what he's asked us to do. Never. Never. Never as a church. We've never wanted for anything. We've been able to complete the mission God has given us. In my family, God's never left us without, never, more than we need to do what God has called us to do. And so if, if, you're, if you have a tendency like I do in my life to say, well, Lord, it's just not enough yet. I can't. It's a faith journey. He's given you more than enough. That's what the word says there. More than enough. The grace will abound you at all times. And you'll, you'll abound in every good work. I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 9 as well. Because what happens is it results. Our generosity, our generosity results in someone else thanking God. And Paul doesn't say it's churches. Paul says, in the world, people will say, thank God you came. Thank God you were generous. Maybe the waitress at the place or maybe the kids in Honduras or whomever, they say, thank God. And they begin to see a vision for the kingdom that God has. That's the prayer that we have. Now, I'm going to pray for our hearts, right? And I don't know where your heart is today, you know? And I don't know if this is a once-for-all struggle, because as much as I talk about generous tip and this and that, man, I feel that. And I told you before, I pray, and God says, what have I given you? What are you doing with what I gave you? Are you sitting on it? Do something with it. There's this constant tension in my heart. Maybe you're like me. But I, I want to pray a prayer for our hearts. And I have a question, and we're going we're gonna to wrap right here. This is... In this life, here's the heart question. Are you going to demand everything you deserve? Everything you've got coming to you? That's one choice. Or are you going to accept all the grace that God has given you and begin to give it to others? Not just financially, to your time, to your talents, to your life, to your care. Are you going to demand everything you have coming? Or are you going to give others grace because of the grace we've been given in Jesus? Please pray with me if you would. Father, today our prayer is for our hearts that we would become more like you. 
Father, today, the, the thought of giving a, a son to die for sins that we didn't commit seems crazy. And yet we know you did that work, that you gave your son. And Father, I tell you, I just feel it in my heart, Lord. I feel this burden, this struggle, this stretch as you try to open us up to your kingdom work and have us let go of all we're hanging on to. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you do that work in hearts and minds today. I mean, not for our benefit as a church, but for your benefit in your kingdom, for your people's benefit, that we can be free in you. Give us open hearts and open hands for real, just to give and receive and be praising you and thanking you for your abundant gift. And Father, for those, um, Lord, for those areas, Lord, I pray this prayer a lot. You know, those, those areas that we just want to hang on to, I pray you would just pry our fingers open and have us let go and trust you. For those who are here today, Father, and they're still thinking they're going to find a way through this life, they're going to have a, 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 their plan implemented to perfection by the end of their, their life here, I pray that they would begin to uncurl their fists and receive a gift of grace from you in Jesus Christ. And I pray that all of us could continue to grow, to be more generous each day. May you be glorified as your people continue to examine your word, to listen to your spirit, and to be obedient to your call in our lives. May you be glorified, Lord, as we continue to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen.